Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. And now, please welcome... It's time for the Bradford Files, right now on WEEI.com. Welcome to another edition of the Bradford Files. We're going to be talking hot stove season today, and with me is Alex Spear, my colleague at WEEI.com. Welcome on in, Alex. Well, I know that you had to drag me kicking and screaming from down the hall, but congratulations on finding yet another bang-up guest for the Bradford Files. I would have found you no matter where you were, no matter if it was in the hall, down the street, across the nation. You are the person I want to talk to about all this stuff, which is Red Sox offseason, baseball offseason. And as we get closer to the winter meetings, which is next week, it becomes more and more a hot-button topic, not only in baseball world, but in the sports world. You know, Patriots, Celtics, no Bruins. This is where it's at. And really, the hottest name that people are talking about as we sit here in the world of sports, in Boston maybe, it, believe it or not, is the former Blue Jay. For four days. Former Ranger. Yeah. Former Angel. Mike Napoli. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, who in, who in the hell, including the Napoli family, would have thought that he would be subject to, like, this whining and dining tour that would have him meeting across the country, literally coast to coast, with the, like, owners and front offices of various storied franchises. It, it's, uh, it, it really is, you know, one of those unpredictable circumstances, and no one could have foreseen it when the Blue Jays made an incredible trade to dump Vernon Wells, and then... They got Mike Napoli back from the Angels, but then spun him off to the oh, Rangers so four close. days later for Frank Francisco. So close to being the best trade in the history of trades, but didn't come to fruition. But I, I will say this. What also makes it unique, and you talk about the Mike Napoli tour, is that this is a guy who wasn't even offered a qualifying offer of one year, $13.3 million, by his team. And, and that is kind of... The position, if, you, if you're if you an elite free agent or perceived to be an elite free agent, you're going to usually get that offer. But he didn't get that offer, yet now all of a sudden he's being treated as an elite free agent. Although there's a cause and effect chicken and egg type of thing going on as we do pull up our comfortable seats in front of the hearth mm. for the hot stove mm. season. Uh, when you think about it, part of the reason why Torrey Hunter was like grade A stock and part of the reason why Mike Napoli is grade A stock no is because they didn't get the qualifying offer. And so everyone was like, wait a second, you're telling me that I can get Mike Napoli who puts up better OPS numbers on a year-after-year basis than Adam LaRoche and I don't have to get a, uh, give up a draft pick. So just 
chicken and egg. Well, yeah, and I agree with you. I guess the things that you have to look at is is that is Scott Boris said this is that the guys who are going to get qualifying offers are going to be considered the elite free agents. So of course they're going to get qualifying offers, but then there are guys kind of in the middle. And I think there was nobody maybe in the middle or who caught more people by surprise that he didn't get the qualifying offer. Maybe than Napoli. Would you agree with that? Short list. I would put him, uh, him, Edwin Jackson, I think was a real shock for me uh, in some respects because you know, he was coming off of the one-year $10 million deal. Um, and uh, and I think Hunter was also a real surprise to me. But, uh, you know, I, I think that that's just kind of a matter of preference. Like, you say any one of those three was the most surprising, and I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, the 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 Edwin, Edwin Jackson one, I think, is more legitimate because you're talking about position. But if we're – and we've said this time and time again about how baseball has changed and how a player like Mike Napoli – might play a position that is the hardest to get in baseball. And, again, this leads us to, especially with the Rangers, which is you might lose Josh Hamilton. There was a reason they were in on, would have been in on David Ortiz because they need that type of guy. So it did send up at least a few red flags when he didn't get the qualifying offer. But all that said, it looks like he's going to be back in demand um, because of all the things that we talked about made him one of the more unique players on the market. He's he is a legit slugger. Like whether or not you have identified him as that in the past, his performance. So he had a hor- horrible year in 2012. You know, not exactly what you want to go into free agency with. Yet he still had, you know, he still had non-base percentage that was in excess of 350, which made him one of the more attractive OBP guys on the market. Still had an OPS that was better than 800, which makes him which puts him in a pretty select group of guys in that category. And then over a broader period of time, he's a guy who has a career OPS of better than 850. This is a guy who who, you know, pushes who, who really is the delivers the production relative to what we're seeing in baseball these days of a power hitter. He's a guy who averages, you know, something like in in his Rangers career, he averaged one homer every four games he played. If that guy can stay in the middle of the field, if that guy can stay on the field, he he can be a difference maker, especially because it's not just power with him, as as you've pointed out. Right. I mean, what's amazing is that everyone said, oh, he had this down year. And and you got to think that some of it has to be attributed to some injuries, uh, even though he did finish September pretty strong. But you, you say this, he had his down year, but he's hitting 220, but his OPS was over 800 still. And and it's one of these, he's not only unique because he's a power hitter and there's just not a lot of power hitters in baseball, it's certainly to the degree that you just talked about, but he's the type of guy who you can put in the lineup and all of a sudden now you get, for the Red Sox anyway, you're going down the road you want to in terms of grinding out a best. And I would guarantee you that if you just – took someone a baseball fan off the street and you said Mike Napoli oh yeah you know he hits with power he's the guy unbuttons his shirt down to his belly button and everything else what's what's your take on that by the way him and Johnny Gomes you know what do you what do you think of you know of going all 70s on us and you know throwing a few medallions around <laughs> well and that's the that thing sort of I mean look. if you're gonna do it no undershirt just some gold chains. Are you talking about like the faux carpet of chest hair yeah, up top too? Basically, like yeah. little dicky, like the, the, <laughs> you know, like the, the Francona used to have sewed into his uh, his 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 what was his that uniform was actually sewn, sewn onto his skin. Just right. as an FYI, <laughs> exactly. revelations that we can have now that we're you know a little ways out from Tito. <laughs> so so despite you know, well, we would think the 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 home run capability, the power potential, but 
people wouldn't say this is a guy that takes as many pitches as Kevin Euclid takes. And, but that's the case. He's that type of hitter. And that's, I think, it, it all leads to why was John Henry there? Well, that's one of the reasons John Henry was there in this meeting. Yeah, that was a, a pretty startling revelation, I think. The idea that the Red Sox owner, who rarely is involved in the in the PR push, we've heard about it with Teixeira, for instance, and we've heard about it uh, to a lesser degree with, with him kind of interacting with Schilling, but he didn't, you know, that was Thanksgiving, so he wasn't making the trip, but... You rarely hear about John Henry being present for these negotiations. The fact that it was, again, Mike Napoli who was being wined and dined, you know, at that level does tell you a lot. And it's interesting to me because I remember a couple of years ago when, you know, when de- when the Red Sox were remaking themselves in the uh, in the form of defense. Everyone was like, okay, you had a crappy defense. That was a costly thing in your 95-win season in 2009. You can improve upon that. And talking to someone who said, yeah, okay, so defense may be the undervalued asset in vogue in Major League Baseball right now. Maybe in a few years' time, it's going to be back to softball league sluggers. Well, maybe we're there again. <laughs> well, in, in to speak to the John Henry being at the meeting conversation, well, one of the, the realities that they're facing the Red Sox is that they might have to call in the big guns a little bit more than they have in the past. I mean, Torrey Hunter was a good example of that. Not to say that the Red Sox were a finalist for Torrey Hunter, but there probably was some interest in, in by what we draw away from it is that Tory Hunter wanted to go somewhere he thought he was going to win. And, you know, maybe same thing with Kuroda. We, we haven't heard all the, the, the whole story with Kuroda because you would think I, – I'm pretty sure the Red Sox made a competitive offer there. I would have to think if they didn't offer more and perhaps significantly more than the Yankees did, then it was a, a mistake, a waste of their time. Right. So my point is is that – Free agency is going to get a little trickier for the Red Sox, and I think I'm guessing here, but I'm thinking that might be the reason why they maybe took this alternate path where all of a sudden John Henry shows up at this meeting. That's a great freaking call, and I'm not just saying that because you're my boss. <laughs> or that, that I took you from the hallway and, and kidnapped you. It was you. cold in the hall. I was yeah. actually happy to come in. But but, it, but you have to think about it. And, and the players were – this was on the players' radar throughout the course of that season. John Lester, some of these other guys, Clay Buckholtz, who said, hey, listen, you know what? This is a mess here right now, and we are legitimately worried the free agents are going to want to come here. Now, the the response to that is they'll go where the money's at. Right. But if the money's relatively equal, then what's it going to be? Well, especially if you're trying to live in this world in which you're trying to sign, quote-unquote, disciplined, you know, reach disciplined deals, sign disciplined contracts Mm -hmm. uh, that we hear about, which means maybe not extending that extra year. Because if you want Mike Napoli, you just offer an extra year if you, you know, if you want to make sure that you get that. But if you don't want to offer that extra year, you want to kind of not separate yourself in length from your competitors, then you have to sell him on, you know, on a larger, on, on a larger, I don't know image of what he's getting into, mm-hmm. and uh, and to your point, exactly right. I think that John Henry's involvement is a reflection of where the Red Sox are. That if a guy is making a is uh, trying to decide between you know between competitive offers, he wants to get that signal that this is an organization that's going to be well run from top to bottom, and it's going to give him a chance. Not only that's going to pay him really well, and Mike Napoli will get paid yeah. very well, uh, but that uh, but that also is going to be well run and give him a chance to win and all that good stuff. Yeah. And so to go back to, okay, you've identified Mike Napoli, you brought the owner, and you want to court him. You want to put his name up on the Jumbotron with the highlight reel and everything else. So why do you want to do that? And there's 
there's varying levels of discourse when it comes to Mike Napoli. And people say, well, you go get Nick Swisher. Nick Swisher is more valuable because he's more versatile. Uh, healthier. He, he's healthier. He's a better defender. Um, he's a switch hitter. So, you know, you played it in a, in a market like this. Um, so that's why you get him. But uh, how it was classified Mike Napoli's defense at first base, which is what we should talk about. Forget catcher. Sure, he can play 30 games at catcher. But that's really if he signs with the Red Sox, he's not he's, he's not going to. I, I view him as actually being in some ways comparable to Victor Martinez when he ended up that's signing ex- with uh, signing with the Tigers. Yeah. He had gone into free agency saying, "I'm a catcher, I'm a catcher, I'm a catcher," and in fact, he had caught whatever a hundred plus mm. games with the Red Sox in his walk year in 2000. What was it? 2010. Uh, it seems like so long after ago. 2000. Yeah, 2010. 2010. Um, yes. Right. So he had caught like 100 games or so for the Red Sox that year, and he he talked about how his identity was kind of wrapped up in being a catcher. But you know what? The Tigers said, here's four years and $52 yeah. million dollars versus the Red Sox, who offered, I think it was four and 42. And he said, I am a Detroit Tiger <laughs> who has put my catching gear to bed. I guess he did. He was a backup catcher in that first year with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they viewed him as being a full-time first baseman DH. The Red Sox actually probably would have given him more of an opportunity to catch had he remained here. But, you know, I, I view I view the Napoli no, it's absolutely positional a, shift it, as being comparable to Victor's. It's a good analogy. In, in how it was classified by one executive is that he's okay at, at first base, Mike Napoli, that is. Um, so if you're willing to get by with okay, if there's any position you, you're saying, okay, you can deal with that, it's first base probably. Um, so – Fielding aside. I mean, I'll go off on a tangent here and say that I, I believe that first base defense is actually a drastically underrated, okay, uh, but you know, well, impactful uh, position on the diamond because I, I don't know more I, so than what other position. And we are going off the off the rails. We're we're just going to cruise right off. We're going to steer into a tree. Uh, I haven't looked at it in relative terms, but i i would i I would venture a guess that first base is a more impactful defensive position than third base, just as a guess. Um, and the reason being that, you know, what you can do in order to spare your infielders from uh, from bad plays and, you know, and from, you know, what, what you can do by adding value with scooped balls and that sort of thing at first base can be remarkable. Uh, the, the example that that kind of crystallized that for me was John Olerud um, back in the day when he was like with his like 15,000 foot wingspan and he was like slapping the left fielder in the face, which was awesome. Uh, he would uh, in back to back years. The Mariners set a record for fewest unearned runs in a season, and then the Mets set a record, or maybe it was vice versa, and the Mets set a record for fewest unearned runs in a season. Common denominator, John Olerud at first base, and the reason was because he was saving just a boatload of runs uh, by with the rest of his defense. Well, here's the have... flip, okay. flip side of that, is that the you're, you have some good points, but the problem is is that the ability to play the position, is, is you have to factor that in, that in as well. Because and let's look at Kevin Euclid. Kevin Euclid, Gold Glove first baseman. You move him over. He's not a Gold Glove third baseman. Although I think I might have written that he. Had yeah, the come on now, Rob. But but you know Mike Napoli's never going to play third base, and, and hence he will never be a Gold Glove th- third yeah, baseman. Yeah, yeah. So so I guess the point is is that if you're going to be able to take someone from another position and put him somewhere else, it's probably going to be first base. But. We can talk about the value of first base another time. My point is, is that, is that, fielding aside, that this is what the Red Sox need. 
They need Mike Napoli. They need that type of hitter for the reasons of the power, the middle of the order potential, but also the ability to where it counts. It's everything that you need in a hitter. Uh, in my opinion, in this lineup right now, Nick Switch is a nice player. I think Nick Switch is also going to cost a, a larger investment than Mike Knapp. Because of the health, because of you know, because of the versatility and that sort of thing, because he has superior defensive abilities. For all those reasons, I, I agree. Right. And, and we haven't really talked about this, but you, but you brought it up with Victor Martinez. One of the things about the Victor Martinez signing that would have made it palatable for the Red Sox is that, hey, okay, you know what? You do this for a year or two, and then – you're the solution after the David Ortiz contract. You're the next designated hitter. And I, I don't know if they're thinking this far down the line, David Ortiz, two years. What if you sign Mike Napoli to a three? Maybe you want to commit it to four. Are you saying, are you going to justify that fourth year by saying, there's our DH. There's our DH solution right there. I don't know. I, I, that's kind of maybe a little bit of a reach, but it's something to think about. At least I thought about when you brought up Victor Martinez. Sure. I mean, if you th- if you assume, as you should, that there's going to be some kind of decline in terms of positional defensive value as a guy ages, and you know, Mike Napoli is not getting younger, and he does have catching in his past, and so you know, and so the likelihood is that you know that uh, he there's a chance that he would remain at first base, but if he's not, he's not going back to catcher in his mid thirties. No. So it would be DH. I personally don't horizon. think he's going back to catcher ever. I think that you're looking at a 30-game-a-year catcher. I can see him being more with either the Rangers or the Mariners. No, I yeah, I'm just saying that what he should be. Yeah, you know, and and you know, although absolutely. although the whole like I guess that part of that gets into the question of catcher's ERA and that sort of thing, but he did lead the he did lead the, lead the major leagues in catching ERA in 2011, and he has the best winning percentage of any catcher in baseball uh, in his starts and over the last com- two years. Yes, and you're coming off a year where you have a leg issue, and also you want you're paying Mike Napoli to hit, right? I mean, this is what you're paying him to do yes. primarily. Yes, so. You're you're devaluing that somewhat the more you catch him. Would you agree with that? I, I think that there's a strong case to be made there, yeah. I mean, he played, what, 108 games this past year? Yeah. If you can get him as an everyday first baseman and he's a 140 games a year guy who can hit a home run every four games, that's as, pretty good. As you, as, as you point out, if he's on the field, he hits home runs. It's amazing. Do the Red Sox have the Dodgers and Josh Beckett in the league? <laughs> Yes, no, we will never have and I don't think uh, the days of having awkward moments with batting stance guy Josh Beckett and uh with the subject of Mike Napoli will ever come up again. A shame that. Well, I don't know, batting stance guy is in Southern California, isn't he? He could he could just go over to Dodger Stadium and Yes, yes. They could re- they could relive the the magic. I'm sure that would be great. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. That he would can, be received he can, very well. He can introduce Beckett's daughter to <laughs> him to that magical moment. Uh so so I think we're both uh, of the same mind in Mike well, Napoli. I, you know, it makes me think like they've signed Johnny Gomes, who's a defensively deficient dude. Mm. That's a triple D, a defensively deficient dude like who that. can mash. Uh, if they sign Napoli, like, is this a 2003 redux formula? Is it the case that they're going back to, you know, screw defense, like screw the Carl Crawford complete player? You know, we've seen uh, we've seen what happens when we go that direction. Let's concentrate our resources on just guys who have a proven track record of, of mashing and, you know, Forget about the whole player thing. Well, it comes back to a couple things. Number one is that those type of players are hard to get now. They just they just are. They're they're one of the most difficult things to get in baseball. Maybe they recognize that and say this is our chance to do that. Um, 
And the other thing is, is that as I wrote about today, there are certain aspects of this team where they have to improve upon from last year, which they were good at in, in the past. Playing at Fenway is one of them. And you aren't going to find – I know Johnny Gomes is a success against left-handed pitching, but you also – you look at his spray chart, you aren't going to find more of a pull hitter in baseball almost. He's and, like he's like a, uh, a lesser version of Gary Sheffield. <laughs> I guess. Well – uh, yes, a lesser version of Gary Sheffield. At what level of lesser we can discuss? Indeed, fair day. enough. But but yeah, so uh, we know how well Mike Napoli hits in Fenway Park. We know the the type of hitter Johnny Gomes is at Fenway Park. Both guys uh, are guys who are going to get on base. David Ross, who isn't really the priority with him, isn't going to be hitting so much, but he is a guy also who sees a fair amount of pitches as well. So I think that the point that you raise is a good one. They do need the grinding plate appearances. I think that you mentioned actually in your column today that the Red Sox went from, you know, from being one of the top couple of teams in the major leagues in terms of pitches per plate appearance to all of a sudden having this, I mean, their plate approach, they had no plate approach as a team this past year in significant stretches of the year. Once uh, they weren't planning on necessarily going from Marco Scudro to Mike Avilas. They weren't necessarily planning on going from Kevin Euclid to Will Middlebrooks. They weren't planning necessarily on going from, well, I guess they did have Salty to Salty. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was just startling how brief those at-bats were. But it's, it's almost like, it felt almost like they're saying, we can get by with this player because he's a good player. He might not fit that mold, but he's a good player. And they kept doing that with players, and all of a sudden you end up with a lineup which isn't what the time to line, but you want because you, you mentioned the names, Mike Avilas. You know, I'm not saying that he was a priority in terms of getting, but he was your starting shortstop. Adrian Gonzalez, who a lot of people thought he was that way, yet he right. swung at more first pitches than anybody. Completely, drastically altered his approach in a way that I've never seen a healthy player alter his approach before in one year. And then Carl Crawford, who was never perceived really that way, just a very good player, but in a different kind of vein. So. I don't know if you would agree with that, but they slowly got away from that because they figured, to your point, they had Euclid, Ortiz was along those the lines, Pedroia was along those lines, Ellsbury enough, um, but there was no Scudero there anymore. There was no some of these other the, the catching situation had had evolved into something else. So it, it and that's what led to last year, right? And the interesting thing is that they've kind of been starting at the back of the roster, right? Like mm -hmm. David Ross, Johnny Gomes, you know, these aren't the guys who are going to get 600 plate appearances in the year. But what they give them is if any of their first-tier players go down, if, you know, whoever their primary catcher is, whether that's Ryan LaVarnway or Jared Saltzlamakia, uh, then if, the, if one of those guys gets injured, then they have a fallback option who can also grind out plate appearances. In Johnny Gomes, if they have a primary left fielder who's going to be, you know, who's going to be their guy against right-handed pitching, then if he gets injured, Johnny Gomes isn't as good a hitter against, against right-handed pitching, but he still grinds out deep at-bats against right-handed pitchers. So what they've done is they've given themselves roster depth and protection in case they have those injuries that they aren't going to cease to be, that they aren't, they aren't going to be an unrecognizable team. Team, which is what happened to them last year with their injuries. Yeah, I, I agree that it'd be interesting to see as they move along and they get some of the primary pieces. And Napoli would be obviously a primary piece, but he fits that mold. Um, are they going to be along those lines if they re-sign Cody Ross? I think he's enough along those those lines that they feel okay. You know what? 
it might not be the pitches per plate appearance as a Mike Napoli, um, but he's good enough. He's that type of player that we want. So, um, but it'd be interesting. What are they going to do at shortstop? Because the the okay, we'll get by with a Jose Iglesias. Well, right now Jose Iglesias isn't that type of guy. It'd be interesting to see if he can evolve into that guy. But right now, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but. I feel like there are a couple of signings that are kind of dependent. You know, it's like Iglesias, okay, you want to see how right-handed you are in the rest of your lineup, and you want to see how, you know, how much you have already captured that kind of quote-unquote grinding approach to plate appearances, and then you can decide whether or not you can stomach Iglesias' transition to being an everyday big leaguer. Or, you know, let's say that they feel like they've turned to they they've gone into right-handed direction then does someone like a Steven Drew become a more perfect fit who's mm-hmm. left-handed sees a lot of pitches over the course of an at bat gives you a a solid major league glove at shortstop you know maybe he would be inclined to take the proverbial Scott Boras pillow contract mm, pillows um that's not a pillow <laughs> That was an uncomfortable moment. Thanks, Rob. Um, yeah, but I, I think so. I think that Igl- the Iglesias slash shortstop question is a dependent one that is kind of like let's see where things stand. Let's see if we sign a Mike Napoli, and then if we do sign a Napoli, then we can take a shot with a guy like Iglesias who gives I'd less in- stick. I'd be interested to hear from you because you know more about it than I do. But the next wave of guys, where they kind of fit into this mold, Jackie Bradley Jr., by all accounts, is that guy. Right? Crazy, crazy plate discipline. He uh, he went the the greatest uh, the greatest illustrative anecdote about him is that um, is that in a summer league uh, in a summer league after I, I want to say when he was fourteen years old, he said, "I need to be a better two strike hitter." So he said, how do I be a better two-strike hitter? I never swing until I have two strikes. And so that summer, he never swung until he had I, I two strikes. I took that tact as well. <laughs> but unfortunately, I, I went with the never swing until you get three strikes. Yes, yes. The uh, the disparity between batting average and on-base percentage was considerable for you. Yeah, and and Xander Bogarts would be the other one. Bogarts, uh, we don't know precisely where he falls on that. He was he made considerable strides in terms of his plate discipline in uh, in Salem this year uh, when he showed the ability to walk at a good rate. Um, I, I think better than ten percent of his plate appearances in uh, in Portland. Once he was promoted there, he walked. I want to say once in about oh ninety plate appearances or so. <laughs> uh, so there's an adjustment that's going on to the upper levels, but uh, his understanding of pitch uh, of executing as a uh, as a hitter is such that I would expect him to be a pretty disciplined hitter. And I guess the third one would be Bryce Brent um, in terms of position players anyway. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be a more aggressive type of hitter going up. He's shown he's made strides in terms of his plate appearance uh, in, in terms of his plate approach this year he was a more patient disciplined hitter and showed some two strike approach uh, the ability to kind of you know stay back and not be overly aggressive and swing at everything um, but I don't think that he's ever going to be a a guy who would be characterized as a quote-unquote high walk rate guy. He's more in the Middlebrooks mode. All right. Well, I think we're gonna we're gonna move on from here. We got a lot of hot stove stuff to talk about in the coming days, and hopefully, we can knock out a couple more of these award-winning podcasts. But if not, what we all can hang our hat on is that we do have the hot stove show every single Thursday. This Thursday is no exception. Um, and then we'll be also going to Christmas at Fenway uh, at on Saturday from. 1 to 3.30 p.m. 1 to 3.30, which is always good because you get a lot of guests there. And uh, and 
also, then after that, the next day, in fact, we'll be boarding a plane for Nashville, and we'll be, I'm sure, talking a lot more from there. But Do you have a 10-gallon hat and or the aforementioned dicky that you referred to? For Nashville? Yeah. No, I had that in Dallas a couple of years ago. Why, why aren't you resuscitating it? Oh, Nashville, I've been practicing my uh, line dancing. Oh, outstanding. <laughs> well, then we need to get the uh, we need to get the Bradford cam for Nashville, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, the Bradford cam is omnipresent. Yes. <laughs> but Alex, thanks for joining us. And uh, until next time, enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you down the hot stove road. Don't get burned by that thing. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. Now you can enjoy MLB Play, the one app with all your favorite free MLB games. Enjoy Beat the Street, Quick Pick, and more. Enjoy competing against friends. Enjoy unlocking exclusive rewards. Plus, your chance to win $5.6 million. Download MLB Play. Enjoy the app. Enjoy the show. MLB Play. No purchase necessary. Must be 21 or older to enter Beat the Streak, which ends at the conclusion of the MLB regular season or when the grand prize is won. Restrictions apply. See MLB.com forward slash play for official rules.